Welcome to Beneath the Willow Tree, a podcast dedicated to the pursuit of truth through wonder with me, Sophie Burkhardt. Home. It is a delicious word. When I hear it, I see images of mid-afternoon coffee and cake with my grandmother, rounds of dominoes with my family, and my dog curled up at the foot of my childhood bed sleeping while I reread a beloved book. But I see more than that. I catch glimpses of rolling hills and cottages, of buttered bread and steaming tea. I hear the sound of many footsteps on flagstones, and I see a great hall full of food and cheer. These are the images of home given to me by many of my favorite books. These two are all the happy feelings I associate with home. But I feel also a deep pain at the word. Having moved from one part of the U.S. to another as a child, I've always felt out of place. Southern culture was, and in many ways remains, a foreign experience to me. Though now, when I travel back north, I feel just as out of place and separate from the people as I do down here. Ever since I left Pennsylvania at eight years old, I've been searching for the elusive home, the place where I truly belong. There are glimmers of it here and there, and there is the hope that something more like home to me than Georgia is out there waiting for me perhaps only a car or plane ride away. However, I do not believe that my deep desire for home will ever truly be satisfied by the world and its current state. No matter how beautiful the land I live in, no matter how cozy the house I sleep in, no matter how wonderful the people who make up my community, there will always be sorrow and brokenness pushing through and shattering the moment. I will always, to some degree, feel out of place, misaligned, hurt, and even lost. Call it a lament, if you will. Somehow, I know, deep within my soul, that I have a home. I know that I have lost it. I can see the evidence of that all around and within me. Such a pain is deep, sharp, and ever aching. But my lament does not rest only in sorrow. It looks to the future with hope. For though my longing has not yet been consoled, I know it will be. I will return home, and it will be better than all I have ever imagined home to be. I know and feel this all, because this is the story of our world. We have all lost our home, and we are all eager to return to it. Even now, the earth itself groans for that moment when all will be made right, when the suffering and brokenness will end, and we will be back again. If we are to better understand our world, our past, our present, and our future. If we are to understand ourselves and the ache we all feel, then we must have a theology of home. For those of us who are Christians, that theology begins on page one of the Bible and finds its culmination in the final pages of Revelation. The story of home, lost and found, broken and redeemed, there and back again, is the story of the scriptures. It would do us good then to begin at the beginning. The world was born out of love, given as a gift, formed by the words of God, and he it was who breathed life into our dust and gave us a home. Can you imagine a home like Eden? It was a place without brokenness. It was a land of beauty and delight. There was work there, but it was good work. And there was community, community within mankind and between God and man. Every key aspect of home was there, beauty, fellowship, the rhythm of work and rest, and above all, Shalom. We of course know what happens next. 
We turned our backs on God and rejected his wisdom. In doing so, we lost home and unleashed upon the earth a curse that made the entire place unhomelike. Beauty was marred by death. Fellowship was broken by discord. Work and rest came out of rhythm so that one seems always to take an unhealthy precedence over the other. Shalom was shattered by our sin. But even in that moment, God gave words of hope. He promised redemption and told humans of a day when all would be made right. Home was not lost forever. Neither did it then disappear from the pages of the Bible. The entire drama of the Israelite people revolves around a home. Abraham is given a promise, and he sets out to a new land so that it might become a home for his descendants, though he is only a sojourner there. Later, the Israelites find themselves slaves in Egypt, desperate to return to the land promised to their fathers. Thus begins the Exodus, the great fleeing from Egypt, but the great journeying to home. At this time, God begins to dwell with the people in the tabernacle, but this is no permanent home for him. The drama continues. The people at last come to the promised land. Eventually, Solomon builds a temple for the Lord in Jerusalem. This is something promising indeed. This seems very home-like, almost something of permanence. But the people continue to turn their backs on God, and so they go into exile. There, they long most desperately for home. They have been given promises, told through the mouths of the prophets, of a savior and a redemption, of a home that cannot be shaken, Mount Zion where God himself dwells. But even when the people return to the land, the promise is not yet fulfilled. For a time, God himself seems to go silent. Eventually, the temple itself is destroyed by the Romans. But before that happens, a baby is born. The baby grows into a man, and he claims to be God himself here on earth to establish his kingdom. That God-man, Jesus of Nazareth, dies and rises again. Death is defeated. The curse is undone. The turning point of all history has happened. We are no longer moving away from home. We are now moving ever closer toward it. To those who follow this king, his spirit is given. It is the beginning of God dwelling once more with man. It is a seal and promise of the future home. John writes in the same language as Isaiah and tells us of a land and a city to which we shall one day come. When we walk into the gates of this new Jerusalem, we shall see pain and brokenness no more. God will dwell fully with man. Creation itself will rejoice. All that we lost, beauty, fellowship, work and rest, rhythm and shalom, will be redeemed and restored. And shall it not be all the more wonderful than Eden? For now that we know what it feels like to be far from home, will we not so much more rejoice in our homecoming? There are, of course, countless passages across the Old and New Testaments that follow this thread of home. But I think that Hebrews 11 captures much of the essence of it all. It says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. 
These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This is nothing more than a snippet of the grand theme of home that God has woven through the scriptures and into the story of our world. It is, I think, the very way in which we can live now. For we are waiting on the promises of God. We are waiting to see home fully fulfilled. We who wait will not be put to shame. We will find ourselves at home at last. But a theology of home is about more than just waiting. Or perhaps it is that waiting means more than sitting still. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, and all who waited on the promises of God did something. They were faithful to what God had called them to, even when it meant living every day as an exile. Our eyes are fixed on our future home. They are fixed on the promise of the resurrection and the redemption of all that is now broken. Right now, we are exiles in a broken world, but we are followers of the King. As humans, we were created to co-rule the earth with God. As disciples of Jesus, we have been commanded to help in making the world more kingdom-like here and now. If we have a proper theology of home, it changes everything. We can understand where we have been and where we are going. We are fueled with hope that home is coming, and we less easily get caught in the slogs that come with thinking that this is already home now. Our lives are reframed, and I, for one, think it is far easier, though it is by no means easy, to face the dragons that will come and fight for the people whom I love when I know that home is waiting for me on the other side. So how do we participate in this great act? How, as we wait for the final fulfillment of home, do we make the world a more home-like place? One answer, I think, is that we cultivate these four parts of home. Beauty, fellowship, the work, and rest rhythms, and shalom. We can make the world more home-like by creating beautiful things. Whether those things are books, songs, paintings, buildings, photographs, or gardens. We can care for the beauty that is around us by doing things that benefit and do not harm our environment. We can make our houses places of beauty, and we can raise children to be beautiful people. There are a world of wondrous things that fit within the realm of beauty, and to do them all justice would require a separate exploration into all that is beautiful. We don't have time for that here, and so I will leave this small list as a glimpse into the possibilities of making the world a more beautiful place. We can also cultivate fellowship. This, of course, means fellowship with God and men. The more we are in fellowship with God, the more home-like the world will be, for we will shine as lights in it. True fellowship with him, of course, breeds all other things, beauty and shalom and every last thing that is good. Fellowship with man looks like true loving friendship. It means bridging divides and caring deeply for one another. It means serving each other. It means genuine conversation and a joint pursuit of truth. It means pointing others to the king by the way we live and the words we say. It means a bearing of burdens and a shared laughter. We make the world more home-like when we foster fellowship and when we create spaces designed to encourage it. There is in home a good rhythm of work and rest. If we are to make our world more home-like, we must be the first to live this way. 
This means doing good and valuable work, but it also means stopping that work intentionally to rest. By doing so, we reaffirm that the busy humdrum of overwork is not the way the world is meant to be. The world is meant to be a home. Not a place of laziness, but a place of good work punctuated by restorative rest. By implementing these rhythms, we realign our lives and values. And lastly, we make the world more homelike when we cultivate shalom. Shalom means peace, but more specifically, wholeness. It is the opposite of all our shattered relationships and all the brokenness of the curse. We bring shalom when we work to heal others of disease, when we help people find food and shelter, when we forgive and embrace. We cultivate shalom when we synthesize thought and make new discoveries. And this is only scratching the surface of what it means to bring wholeness to the brokenness. All of this is part of our role as servants of the king. Now before I end, I must of course bring stories into this discussion. It helps tremendously with our theology when we see our own world as a grand story, and our lives within it as smaller stories feeding into it and playing off of it. But other stories help too. If we read The Hobbit, we may better understand what it feels like to come home after a long and weary journey, and we may have more hope when we come up against goblins and dragons along the way. If we read The Lord of the Rings, we may learn that home is somewhere worth fighting for. If we read Harry Potter, we see how important fellowship is to home, and perhaps we gain a bit of hope that Hogwarts is waiting for all who are stuck for a time at the Dursleys. The Scent of Water by Elizabeth Googe captures all the relevant parts of home and paints a truly splendid picture of it. And there are countless other stories that can foster our longing for home, give us glimpses of what it might one day look like, and teach us how to make the world now a more home-like place. We need a theology of home, for the coming to it is the promise we have been given to give us hope through all of these weary and broken days that are as yet punctuated with bright glimmers of joy.